This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. We're going to focus on Iran for the better part of this program tonight. Coming up very shortly, a regular feature with the discoverer of reverse speech, David John Oates. He's standing by live from Australia with some interesting reversals on U.S. officials or from U.S. officials concerning the recent events involving the conflict with Iran. Then towards the bottom of the hour. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis will be here to discuss Iran. Uh, was it a good idea, in his estimation, for the U.S. to target Qasem Soleimani? We'll talk about certain rumors floating around concerning what Soleimani may have been up to when he arrived in Baghdad. And we'll also get into the horrible uh, situation, the downing of the Ukrainian airliner killing all 176 aboard, including 57 Canadian citizens, uh, by the Iranians. Uh, That conversation will take us up to the top of the hour. And then in hour two, open lines. And I'm not going to limit the conversation to Iran, but I'm guessing many of you will have lots to say on the matter. Although for the time being, thank God, things seem to have quieted down. I'm not sure if you recall a few weeks ago on this program, one of the last, if not the last programs of 2019 during open lines, I offered up several of my predictions for 2020 and I predicted regime change in Iran. I predicted that the mullahs, the Islamic clerics that rule that country and the Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader, would flee the country. What do you think of that prediction now? Well, we'll uh, discuss during the open line portion of the program of that and of course anything else you care to discuss open lines in hour two owen wolf is my technical producer he also answers the phones for open lines and ryan white is my live stream producer and yes we are live streaming audio on the youtube channel strange planet over the last several months uh, david john oates the discoverer of reverse speech has joined us 
the second show of every month in the first hour, and he's revealed the inner thoughts of the unconscious mind of hardened criminals, celebrities, historical figures, politicians, and uh, in so doing has revealed on this program some pretty startling findings. He is, of course, with us again tonight, and I gave David an assignment earlier this week. I, I said, David, let's see if you can find any interesting telling reversals from any U.S. politicians or intelligence or military people, cabinet secretaries, etc., relating to the recent events in Iran. And as always, David went to work, rolled up his sleeves, and uh, poured through or went through hours of audio from press conferences and interviews. And uh, he's here right now with the findings. Now, I haven't heard any of these. I don't know anything about uh, what we're going to hear. I don't know who we're going to hear from. So this ought to be real interesting. David is, I say, the discoverer of reverse speech. He's the author of several books on the topic, including It's Only a Metaphor, Beyond Backward Masking, Reverse Speech, A New Theory About Language, and Reverse Speech, Voices from the Unconscious. He's also the co-host of the podcast, Reverse Speech Radio. David, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you in this new year, 2020? Here we are. Yes, indeed. Hard to believe. Now, I got to ask you, before we get rolling with uh, Iran, uh, have you been affected at all by the wildfires where you are? Uh, well, not personally. No, no. I'm in the city of Adelaide. We've got some fires in the hills, but around around Adelaide city, but I'm in the suburbs. But the real threat is on the east coast of New South Wales and Victoria. They're, right. They're Although Kangaroo Island, which is just 100 miles south of me, is uh, half gone. I mean, just tragic. I, I went camping there just last year on Kangaroo Island. Beautiful place. Can't believe it's half gone well, due to fires and the loss of property and human loss. They estimate a half a billion wildlife have been lost. In That's just staggering, staggering. Uh, staggering. But you're finally getting some rain, I understand. Uh, yeah, uh, slowly. Uh, temperatures are down a little bit today. You know, we'll see. We'll see. It's not. It's not enough yet, but uh, we've got. We've got some. But and and what did you make? Um, maybe you can uh, maybe confirm what maybe something that you've heard. We've been we've been hearing about climate change uh, and how this was the result of climate change for so long, and and then we're starting to hear about all of these arrests for arson. In Australia, yeah. and, and some have tried yeah. to deny it. They say, "Well, that was just that was Twitter bots or something." Uh, no, fake, no, fake news. Been, uh, they've arrested eighty people so far for deliberately starting fires. Oh no, this has been this this has been majority majority of these fires are arson. It's not climate change. Sorry, disappoint folks on that one. No, I I wasn't I wasn't uh, I can't say that I was shocked. Um, but. Uh, have you read anything in the Australian or heard anything in the Australian media about motives? Did these people want to, did, were they trying to, um, to try and, you know, get people to think that it was climate change? Were they, were they climate no. change activists? What, who are they? No, no motives, no motives. No, no, I haven't seen anything about it. All, all I know is that there've been 80 arrests for deliberately setting fires. That's, that's all I know. Right. It is, I mean, how can anyone do that? I mean, I, I just don't understand the mentality that can even think about doing something like that. No. Uh, and the um, now you foreign firefighters starting to arrive. I saw the uh, reports of the That's U.S. Right. firefighters and so forth. That's right. 
Yes, yes. Well, Australia's firefighters are stretched to are stretched to the limit. I mean, you know, we're, 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 all our resources are maxed out. To the, so, yeah, we we need all the help we can get. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's hope that rain continues to fall. Yeah, it's a great tragedy for Australia. It really is. Well, on to from one tragedy to another. Um, and the these recent events is things seem to have simmered down somewhat between the yes, United States they, and Iran. Yes, they do. I was half expecting all that war to break out when Iran uh, started firing missiles at U.S. bases in Iraq, but it didn't. And uh, Trump, uh, Trump um, didn't respond. Well, at least not military. He responded with sanctions. So um, I found some interesting reversals on the whole thing. I haven't. I've only just sort of looking through them now. Um, but uh, it seems that they, the U.S. administration, thinks they make the wrong decision, which I'm surprised about because uh, I would thought they were quite sure. So let's look at let's look at one on Trump that uh, that talks about this. Here he is okay. talking about justifying the killing of Soleimani. Yes. Here we go. We have the best intelligence in the world. If Americans anywhere are threatened, we have all of those targets already fully identified, and I am ready and prepared to take whatever action is necessary. And that in particular refers to Iran. Okay, so uh, he's speaking quite strong, but backwards he says, Error, we serve you. Error, we serve you. Error. Wow. So that's strange. That's um, crystal clear. That's an that's a grade A reversal. Yes, error so we serve you. Yes, it is. So what's the error? And uh, you know, I mean, he's speaking quite strongly forward. You know, about taking military action, but backwards, you we're serving an error. This is not something we should be doing. And they did not respond to the attacks. Now, so, the, the timing here would be important to know that this uh, speech uh, that he gave, this was uh, after after striking, uh, after uh, killing Soleimani, but before yeah, before the uh, the Iranians fired the missiles at the U.S. bases. Exactly correct. Yes. 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 Hmm. Well, maybe. Maybe subconsciously or unconsciously, he he just had doubts because it was a bit of a gambit uh, yeah. when you think of it. Because we're told that previous administrations, or at least Susan Rice, uh, the, the um, national, I believe she was national security advisor in the Obama administration, when she was asked, you know, why they didn't take out Soleimani, they said that they thought it was too big a risk. Um, although I've heard that they simply didn't have the intelligence. I've heard from other sources that they, they didn't have the intelligence. They didn't, they weren't able to, you know, to, to, to locate him when they needed to. So I don't know. It was a big risk. Yeah, maybe right. Trump just had some, he had some, he who had knows? Some maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. his advisors were saying, let's do it. Let's do it. And he was saying, geez, I don't know. This is risky. And yeah. then after he did it, yeah. he goes, Oh boy, you know, he's, he's on tender hooks. Yeah. I, I kind of get that feeling from the reversal. And here we have one. I have uh, really have no idea how to explain it, but maybe your guest after me can shed some light on this one. Here he is uh, talking about the ki killing of Soleimani. Soleimani has been 
perpetrating acts of terror to destabilize the Middle East for the last 20 years. What the United States did yesterday should have been done long ago. A lot of lives would have been saved. Just recently, Soleimani led the brutal repression of protesters in Iran, where more than a thousand innocent civilians were tortured and killed by their own government. And here he says that the British hit us. I don't know. The British hit us. I know. Uh, hang on, look, hang on, look. Let me just play that again. I actually heard that a bit differently this time. I actually heard the British shared us that time. It shared us. Okay, then that makes sense. It shared us. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, they obviously uh, in, uh, uh, in, uh, shared information with the British. Right, right. Huh. Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Okay. So what would we call that? Would we call that um, uh, well, that's af- what, affirmation or? Yeah, that's what we call an expansive reversal. It gives us extra information. The uh, British were involved in sharing intelligence, I would imagine. Okay. Right, right. Okay. And Who else do we have? Oh, okay. Well, I've got a few more on Trump, but let's look at some others. Here we have, um, uh, let's look at Pom- uh, like Pompeo. Pompeo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, well, I'll, like, I'll play this Pompeo one. Um, see, this is also about the British, too. It's Pompeo saying Iran will not get nuclear weapons. Uh, and most of what you suggested in his uh, text message or email or message that you laid out there uh, was indeed uh, Iranian propaganda. It's not new. We've heard these same lies before. Uh, it's fundamentally false. He was not there on a diplomatic vision. Okay, now this is a bit of a metaphor. December Limey urges them. Now, Limey is slang for a British citizen. Limey, a palm. Right, right. December Limey urges them. December Limey urges them. Oh, clear. December Limey urges them. That one's very clear. December Limey urges them. Okay, I think something happened in December. Some um, some um, some sharing of information with the Brits. I think the Brits were involved in pushing them. Um, I've just been informed the Brits have sent a nuclear sub to Iranian waters. So um, ah, okay. Uh, so it sounds like he's Pompeo was saying in December they received some information. Yes, uh, exactly about correct. presumably Soleimani from uh, yeah exactly British intelligence. Correct. Okay, exactly. Limey. That's interesting. Why he would use that's a rather antiquated. Yeah, I know. Well, use that too. I know. <laughs> um, but the it's interesting because the forward speech has more to do with uh, you know. Well, it was um, it, it has been alleged by a number of sources uh, that the Iraqi Prime Minister uh, claimed that Soleimani was in Baghdad, uh, not to uh, plot you know, more terrorist actions, not, not to blow up the U.S. embassy or target more U.S. Uh, uh, army personnel. He was there at the behest, perhaps, of the Americans to de-escalate the situation between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And so in the forward speech, Pompeo was just dismissing that outwardly, outright, oh, rather. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Wally, he may say, look, we had British intelligence, the British urged us to go ahead with this. Yeah. Right. Fascinating. Okay. What's next? Right. Great job, uh, by the way, David. Great job, by the way. Oh, thank you. Here's a Debbie Wasserman Schultz um, uh, saying Trump killed Soleimani because of the impeachment. 
Uh, Donald Trump was just impeached a week and a half ago. Mary says she says there's so much blood. There's much blood. That's the marsh Oh, yeah. Ooh. That's the Ooh, that's a curdling sound, isn't it? <laughs> Rather, yes. Yes. Okay, so um, what does that tell us? There's so much blood. Well, that's... Oh, it makes sense. You know, yeah, it makes sense. Happens. But you said something, she said something about impeachment. Yeah, oh, she's talking forward. She said, yeah, yeah, what she's saying is the whole context of the conversation was ah. Trump on killed Soleimani because of the impeachment to uh, draw attention away from it or something. Ah, oh, right, right. Okay. Now, here we have an interesting reversal. Actually, we'll have uh, well, I've got a couple of them. Um, Mark Esper, Defense Secretary. Yes. So here's the forwards. Uh, Soleimani was caught red-handed on the ground in Baghdad. One terrorist leader of a terrorist organization meeting with a another terrorist leader uh, to synchronize and plan additional attacks on American forces, diplomats, or facilities. I think we took the right action to remove these players from the battlefield. Okay, now here we have a metaphor. I'll play it and I'll tell you what it means. See Lucifer Sam. See Lucifer Sam. See Lucifer Sam. Okay, Sam is a common metaphor for the United States, Uncle Sam. Right. See Lucifer Sam. Like, uh, we, uh, it is aggression, anger, power, um, uh, a negative metaphor. It, it seems to mirror what Trump said about an error. And Mark saying, gee whiz, um, we're uh, getting a little bit aggressive here. Okay. Interesting, so, because, uh, um, because, of course, Iran refers to America as the great Satan. Right, right, I know. But here they're putting it back on on. on well, he's actually confirming it in his hmm. verse, which hmm. is interesting. It is interesting. Anyway, some interesting findings. I'll say. Uh, here's, uh, here's a straightforward one. Secondly, uh, I'd like to say to our service members and our diplomats in the region that we have your back. Uh, we thoroughly support what you're doing. And here he says, yes, a killer. Yes, a killer. Yes, a killer. Yeah. Yes, a killer. Yeah, I guess he's referring to Soleimani, Mani, Mani, however you pronounce it. Right. Yes, a killer. Well, not much question about that. So we get it. It's kind of a mixed bag here, isn't yeah, it? On the one hand, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some doubts. I can tell you that. Okay, what I can. I mean, I still got more versus play if I've got time. But uh, but but uh, what I'm what I'm construing from all of this is there's some doubt about the action. They were pressured, pressured by the Brits, okay, and uh, and or maybe pressure is too strong a word. Um, information was shared with the Brits, although urges them is pretty strong, isn't it? So, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Interesting bag, and uh, here we have uh, uh, Mark Esper again. Here we go. The commanders in the region, and I should say globally, are taking all appropriate force protection measures. And here he simply says they broke the law. They broke the law. They broke the law. They broke the law. I guess he's talking about Iran. Presumably. The well, these, you know, I, uh, you and I have been doing this for a while, and and uh, I've heard, you know, probably a hundred reversals uh, or more from you by now, more than that, probably hundreds of reversals. I don't ever remember them being this, this clear, this grade A. 
Yeah, they're pretty good reversals. Yeah, they certainly are. And I must and I must say, I had some help with these with one of my uh, with one of my analysts, and uh, Naomi Longson found some of these. So well, I do well please pass along my um, my yeah. uh, thanks to Naomi because you've done a great job here. I I I, I was a little bit worried I may might have put you on the spot, but you you, you oh, no, rose to the occasion. Good. Well, I've always come through for you, Richard. You have, and you always do. You always do. Well, but the thing is, you could go through, you could go through hours and hours and find nothing, right? No. Yeah. Look, I was doing a Trump speech last night for the show today, and it was a half an hour speech, and I found one reversal that wasn't even clear enough for airplay. You know, so there you go. It, it, it gets frustrating sometimes. You know, you've got to spend a lot of time with the headphones on. But, you know, look, it all pays off, you know, and we always get great results. And, uh, um, you know, I, I hope that in all the shows I've done with you, people are starting to see that there's something to this. Well, know? based on the feedback, people are absolutely enthralled, uh, David. Oh, we have time for a couple. We have time for a couple more. Yeah, okay. Here we have uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz again. Allow Ukraine to interfere in the presidential election in 2020. That's outrageous, and I think that has a lot to do with what this is, attack was about. And this one says definite rape. Definite rape. Definite rape. Yeah. Yeah, she feels it was an attack. It was a rape. Mm. All right. And again, trying to tie it to the impeachment. That's right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, here's, uh, Here's Trump. Uh, oh, that one's already open. I thought I didn't play that. Soldiers back home, I will say that we have had tremendous support from the people of Iraq. Here he says, it's an ambush. It's an ambush. It's an ambush. It's an ambush. Well, it was an ambush, wasn't it? That's how they killed him. Right, right. So, right. so that's just straightforward, really. Now, uh, I know you don't speak Farsi, uh, but it would be, oh, it would be okay. interesting to hear some Iranian reversals. Oh, I know. Well, see, this is where we need a whole bunch of people of bilingual um, to uh, get involved in reverse speech. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunately it's still such a very young field. You know. Well, eventually you'll have you'll have uh, proteges all over the world, and you could yeah. reach out to them with a call. You know, you'll have a, a an Iranian an Iranian uh, bureau and a J- Japanese bureau, and you'll you'll be able to call, and they'll. They'll uh, they'll do the reversal and you'll have the result. Now, if you did a reversal uh, in, I think I've asked you this before, but just remind me. Now, let's uh, say someone is speaking Farsi uh, and they do the reversal. Uh, the reversal would also be in Farsi, presumably, or would it be would it be in English? No, was it speaking? Okay, if they have some knowledge of English, you will get a few reversals in English, but the, but the main reversal will be in Farsi. Uh, so, uh, see, it depends. See, it also depends on how well they speak the second language. Is how many reversals that you'll get in, uh, right. in that language. Right. And is it if uh, if you were fluent in, this, in in another language, David? And maybe you are. I don't know. But if you were, let's yeah. say you spoke French. I mean, it, are you getting the same quality reversals in another language? Yes, we are. Yes, yeah. we are. Yeah. yeah, yes, we are. Look, there's still got so much more work to do in that whole area, you know, but uh, yes, we are. And uh, we're also finding the same metaphors in other languages, too. So well, uh, I guess they're universal, aren't they? 
yeah, I, I believe we're tapping into a universal collective unconscious. You know? David, uh, outstanding job. Again, um, oh, reverse speech radio. Still, uh, you've been in hiatus for a little while. Is that that's coming back? Yes, that's coming back next week. Yes. Oh, excellent. Yes. All yes, right. So hiatus over over the Christmas New Year period. So. Okay. So reverse speech radio dot libsyn dot com. Reverse speech radio dot libsyn dot com, or they can go to reverse speech radio dot ca. Sorry, reverse speech dot ca, and just scroll down, and you'll see an old radio. Just click on that, and it'll take you right there. David, thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it, mate. We'll talk next month. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When we come back, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis uh, will reveal what he believes is going on in Iran. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis Graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, the Naval Postgraduate School, the Command and General Staff College, the Defense Language School, and the Army War College's Strategy Course. He's an Airborne Ranger, Infantry Officer with service in four infantry in four infantry divisions on three continents. Once retired from the U.S. Army, he joined the Family Research Council, where he rose to be the Vice President for Policy before returning to the Pentagon 16 years ago. He's the author of Future War, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and his latest, Progressive Evil. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Richard. Right out of the shoot, I'd like your take on the actual targeting of Qasim Soleimani. Uh, was it a good idea or was it ill-advised? We've been trying to uh, kill Soleimani for a long time, we and the Israelis and others in the region. Um, this, because of his higher profile recently uh, and some pretty bad uh, operational security on his part, uh, we picked up his trail. Uh, we tracked him as he left uh, Damascus and flew to Baghdad. Uh, there were evidently um, informants that uh, told us that he was boarding the, the Cham Wings Airbus A320 at a particular time and would arrive in Baghdad. Uh, that alerted people on the ground there in Baghdad um, to, you know, watch where he uh got into a car and the path of that car. Uh, it would appear that, uh, like other places, we had a drone that was prepared to track the car. And at the appropriate point when they were in a deserted part of the airport leaving for Baghdad, four Hellfire missiles rained down on two vehicles, destroying both, and he was inside of one of them. There are, there are so many conflicting reports. It's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. But let me uh, throw out a couple of scenarios that have surfaced. One is that he was, Kasim Soleimani was in Iraq on a peace mission. And uh, this apparently ha has come from the Iraqi prime minister who said that Soleimani came there to de-escalate the, uh, the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, I believe the prime minister was also quoted as saying he came there at the United States behest. Uh, 
and Pompeo, the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, has completely dismissed that. Have you have you heard those reports? And where would that come from? Did the Iraqi Prime Minister say that? No, I doubt it. Uh, of course, the Iraqis uh, uh, in the in that particular culture will say one thing, and then behind the scenes say something very different. That that's, reflects what uh, President Trump said the other day. You know, the the the, op, the modus operandi of uh, Soleimani was, you know, to instigate insurgencies around the world, mostly in the Middle East. He trained you know, Yemeni Houthis. He trained, uh, obviously, Hezbollah. Uh, he worked with a, a number of uh, allies in Syria. Obviously, the Shiite and militias uh, and in, in Iran are in Iraq and elsewhere. Uh, he... I I would completely reject out of hand any suggestions that he was a a peace emissary. You know that's not what this man did. He was the second most powerful man in Iran. Did the the bidding of the uh, Grand Ayatollah Ali Khomeini uh, and did things in a way that would not suggest that he was ever interested in anything other than the expansion of the Shia crescent all the way to the Mediterranean and the destruction of Israel. The uh, the contrarian point of view that has also come out is that he was uh, there possibly to target the uh, the U.S. embassy again, but also it has been suggested he may have been there to stage a coup against the Iraqi president. Have you heard that? Yeah, I, certainly the Iraqis have not had terribly stable governments, uh, and we saw. You know, the real divide a week ago when the parliament met, only the Shia showed up, the Sunni and Kurds stayed home, and then they, of course, voted on a non-binding resolution to dismiss the U.S. from Iraq and ask them to leave. And, of course, the prime minister is promoting that idea. Uh, the idea that Iran could go in and uh, foster a coup it, it's not out of the question, but I don't think that you, know, you would find the Sunnis and the Kurds sitting by more. And keep in mind, a lot of the Shia there uh, are, are truly Iraqi patriots. They you know, will take some assistance from you know, Tehran, uh, but they don't like to be told what to do by that outside power. Uh, we're told that Soleimani had been uh, targeted in the, in in the past by previous administrations, the Obama administration, the uh, George W. Bush administration, but they never pulled the trigger because they were fearful, I guess, that it might ignite some more widespread conflict. So why why now? Well, I would argue that under Bush and under Obama, uh, the intelligence on Soleimani was not always that good. Uh, he is. Uh, a master of deception and a master of keeping a low profile. Uh, but at age 62, apparently over the last year, he has become incredibly bold and, you know, even giving interviews and his whereabouts was much easier to track as evidenced by uh, the takedown last, last week. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting theory. I don't, I don't embrace it. Uh, what do you say to the the critics who say 
Suleimani was fighting ISIS. He was fighting ISIS in Syria. He was fighting ISIS in Iraq. Sometimes, you know, the enemy uh, of your enemy is your friend. And we've made those sorts of bargains in the past. Uh, what do you say to them that why would we target uh, someone who is killing ISIS? Well, I agree he was killing ISIS. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that President Trump said at his speech on Wednesday morning this past week was that, you know, we should be working together. And he made a reference to the ISIS fight. Uh, but at the same time, keep in mind, you know, that uh, they're pushing against a very important interests that we have in the region. You know, they arm and foist Hezbollah to keep the pressure in the north of Israel. They arm uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas out of Gaza, and there's a constant flow uh, of terrorists, uh, obviously rockets uh, from that area. Uh, They foster and supply the Houthis that keep the Saudis on their toes. Uh, And of course, they are constantly harassing shipping in the Gulf uh, the Persian Gulf, as well as the Strait of Hormuz, uh, and then, of course, what they're doing as well in Syria and Iraq. So uh, the the whole idea that we could work with them, yes, we could, if they would stop, as President Trump has says, doing all the rest of this stuff. Uh, and, of course, they're even in our own hemisphere, and in Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, a few other places uh, with Hezbollah, and they're of course, earning money through drugs, but they're also training people to do things that uh, we don't appreciate. So, yeah, it's, I buy the idea, but I reject it primarily because there, there isn't sufficient evidence that they would back down from doing the other nefarious things they're, they're guilty of. Uh, I was watching uh, Tucker Carlson not too long ago, and, uh, he made, I thought, was a very valid point. I'd like to get your feelings about this, your thoughts. Why should we trust the intelligence that says one thing or the other when just, you know, for the last two years, we've been been bemoaning the fact uh, that the intelligence apparatus has been used in what might, one might describe as a, a soft coup attempt against the president? Yeah, I, I do listen to Tucker as well, and, and I understand uh, the concern there. And it has been, obviously, the law enforcement, and some people would argue that even the CIA uh, was culpable in uh, helping to feed you know, uh, the Russian hoax and this you know, number of other scandals. I would argue, though, that uh, when we're talking about yeah, the type of intelligence that is involved with regard to the likes of Iran, North Korea, um, and China, not as much Russia, that uh, you know, the president who gets briefed regularly and the people that uh, operate based upon that intelligence have found it uh, pretty reliable in spite of you know, the portion that you articulate as being, you know, sort of out of control. It doesn't mean that it couldn't be uh, misused, uh, but I suspect that uh, we're watching close enough and don't believe that it was misused in a way as we've seen in the past. All right, uh, uh, Bob, just hold on. We'll take a quick time out, come back. We'll talk about the uh, the downing of the Ukrainian airliner and more. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. 
take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is with us here on The Conspiracy Show. The retaliation from the Iranians and the, the targeting of uh, two military bases with their uh, ballistic missiles inside Iraq. Much has been made of the fact that there were no casualties. How much of that has to do with early warning uh, systems and how much of that has to do with the fact that the Iranians were very uh, wary about crossing Trump's red line, which was harming Americans? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Uh, likely... It was sort of a demonstration by the Iranians saying, look, we have these missiles. We can reach out and touch where your uh, troops are. And they're so accurate that we can, uh, we're not going to shed blood, but we are going to uh, get your attention. Now, clearly, we had plenty of uh, head start. You know, as tensions ratchet up, we have sensors you know, in, the, in orbit. We have sensors uh, flying, you know, and looking at both the air and the ground, and we have electronic sensors and a variety of capabilities uh, that were just, you know, lighting up the entire western part of Iran. So we knew when the launch was taking place, and we saw uh, them preparing uh, to launch. And so that, of course, gave us plenty of notice. Uh, we hustled people to, you know, protective facilities, you know, sent you know, aircraft away and did a variety of things that you would normally do if you're thinking you know, you're going to come under attack. And, you know, it was successful. All they ended up doing is uh, a little harm to uh, a few, you know, structural facilities and obviously killed or wounded no one. To what extent were they symbolic? Because the two bases, one was in Kurdish territory and one I believe was in Sunni Hill territory. I could be incorrect about that second one. There was a closer. No, it's in, it, there is an El Ambar province. You're ah, right. Okay, so th there was, there is a base much closer to the Iranian border that they could would have been easier to strike. So, is there any symbolism there? I think so. You know, like I said last weekend, uh, the vote in the parliament uh, was along party lines. Uh, the Shia voted to uh, expel the U.S. and the Sunnis, and they. Kurds stayed at home uh, because they, you know, have a, have good reason to want the U.S. to to remain. And of course, it's a non-binding resolution. So now going after the Kurds, that's nothing new for the Iranians. There's plenty of Iranian militia in the north. Uh, and then, of course, going after the Sunni, which has always been a, an antagonist uh, to the Shia, uh, is nothing new either. So I wasn't surprised. That, and of course, that's why we have located our personnel in those regions, because it's more friendly to us than, than the Shia population and much less the Iranians. I don't know if you're free to speak about this, but to what extent is your your day to day work now involved uh, with the Iranian situation? I deal with international uh, security issues um, all over the world. Uh, you know, this would be uh, tangential to the types of things that that I would be interested in. Uh, but you're in. I'm. I'm. I'm guessing uh, you're in communication, regular communication with uh, colleagues uh, for whom this is uh, sort of central to their their uh, their present concern. 
Yeah. Anytime U.S. forces are engaged in hostile activities, um, I have a vested interest, and I try to monitor that and have contact with the appropriate people. Uh when we uh, we're going to take a break here in about a minute and a half, and I, I do want to talk about the downing of the Ukrainian uh, airliner. Uh, I, I just wanted to talk about. We'll start the conversation now and continue it after the break, and that has to do with President Trump's uh, promises uh, to to bring troops home. I, I s- sincerely believe his base would would like him to do that. I believe he would like to do that. Uh, he was, you know, he wanted to to bring troops home from Afghanistan. He announced it and then did a, a reversal. Uh, what is the situation? The Iraqi Parliament has voted. You know, they've asked the United States to to, to pull their troops out. Uh, w- what's going to happen there? We'll probably stay there for for the term, uh, certainly through the election, uh, if not longer. Uh, though I would personally like to see us pull out of Iraq and Afghanistan, there, there are reasons why you know, some of the commanders want us to stay at least with a, uh, a small footprint in Afghanistan you know, so that we can have an anti-terrorist uh, capability close to the source and to keep the likes of al-Qaeda and ISIS and others uh, under wraps. And then, of course, in Iraq, uh, just because of ISIS, if ISIS uh, were to disappear tomorrow, uh, then the justification for remaining there uh, would begin to dwindle. So I suspect that uh, there are some preconditions, uh, but I do anticipate the administration would love to get out but won't uh, accept will downsize uh, both elements. Uh, we have about 5,200 in Iraq. You know, right now about 12,000 in Afghanistan. I can see you know, those numbers diminishing in the coming year. We'll take a quick time out here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is with us. Give me your overall impressions, if you could, on the Iranian shooting down of the Ukrainian airliner, which killed all 176 aboard, including 57 Canadian citizens. It was interesting that, uh, of course, they lied about it yeah, and then within a few hours, they apologized. Uh, that's quite a reversal for a you know, authoritarian regime to do that. But uh, the the evidence was incredibly compelling, and of course, we had shared it with a number of allies and friends uh, that you know, also uh, came to the forefront and announced. Uh, their concern. You know, it, it really revealed uh, a lot of Iranian weaknesses, uh, which was, I think, rather embarrassing to the IRGC, much less. You know, you can ask, where in the world was the irregular Iranian army and air defense systems? Uh, evidently, IRGC is all they have. That's quite a revelation, and I would argue the Israelis uh, were salivating at the thought that, you know, maybe this adversary isn't as tough as they've been promoted as being. But uh, the blame is going to come down on the IRGC's Aerospace Force Chief. Uh, the general will, you know, bite the bullet. And, uh, of course, he's already put out a statement. He said, look, my guys only had 10 seconds to decide to shoot down. 
and um, their systems were being jammed, probably by the U.S., and, of course, they never said anything about why they didn't talk to civilian air controllers, which were very close to where this SA-15 was sitting and watching uh, to the West, anticipating an attack from uh, U.S. in response to what, of course, had happened uh, hours before when they you know, sent those rockets at El Assad as well as Erbil. So it's it's an interesting uh, phenomenon. It's, it's a sad outcome. And of course, it stirred the Iranian people appropriately because almost everybody on there was Iranian in one way or another, at least related to Iranians. And uh, they're calling for uh, major changes. I'm not sure the Ayatollah is going to be removed, but uh, certainly it's going to shake up the IRGC and the Quds Force. Uh, you mentioned that it, it revealed the weakness of the uh, I- Iranian air def- defense system. Is that a direct result, do you believe, of the sanctions? No. No, I, I think this is more endemic. Uh, you know, poor training, poor discipline, poor command and control, uh, poor target uh, identification. Uh, they they have obviously didn't even uh, understand the flight path of civilian airliners uh, in the vicinity in which they put these SA-15s. Yeah, everybody was on high alert. There's no question about it. And they were trigger happy because they fully anticipated an attack. Uh, we fooled them. We did not attack. And as a result, uh, you know, some young person probably, you know, in a tense moment thought that you know he better fire which he did and once you fire you can't turn it off it's not one of those you know, types of systems that you can you know, abort uh, easily because that's not what the russians made when they made the sa-15 back in the 70s so you know i i think the the big winner here uh believe it or not is israel uh because you know, they, as I indicated, they saw some significant weaknesses in the air defense system uh, of the Iranians. And, of course, uh, your listeners will remember what the Israelis did in 07 against the Syrian reactor and 81 against uh, the Iraqi reactor. And, of course, uh, they're concerned about uh, Iran's, you know, flaming accusations that they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and the whole idea that they might have ballistic missiles and a nuclear weapon to do that, you know, ratchets up the concern in Israel that maybe, you know, we see a vulnerability. Maybe we could, in fact, get in and and knock out some of their key sites. After all, what was it, April 18, which um, Netanyahu announced to the world, uh, the trove uh, of intelligence they scarfed up from a warehouse in Tehran that showed that the Iranians were in fact working on a nuclear program far more advanced than we previously thought. So these things all come to the advantage, I think, of the Israelis. And um, so they're rather thankful for the revelations that came to bear here in the last week. Uh, it sounds like you're ruling out the possibility that the Iranians shot that airliner down on purpose. Is that accurate? Yeah, I don't think that they would have done that. Um, you know, in the terrible domestic political situation they have, having killed 1,500 of their own people, I do not see any justification or rationale, even a good conspiracy, you know, as to 
Why? Because there was nobody aboard that that was uh, had seniority or an intelligence operator, uh, operative, or anything else that uh, has come out to suggest that you know, there would be any nefarious reason to down the aircraft just to get uh, one or a number of people out of the way. So I, I truly think it ends up being just a, a terrible, tragic mistake uh, by a poorly coordinated and run air defense system, much like what we saw with the Malaysian airliner in 14, uh, the Russians against the Koreans in 83, and our own mistake against the Iranian aircraft in 88 in the Persian Gulf. Then what should be the appropriate response uh, to what was an accidental shooting down of a plane in the in the the fog of war, if I can use that uh, that old chestnut? Uh, what's the appropriate response? Well, I think they started, and that is they apologize, which surprised me and I'm sure a lot of people. Uh, they have to pay compensation to the families. Uh, they have to uh, obviously demonstrate that they're going to put on trial uh, after the investigation people that they find uh, at fault uh, if there was gross negligence uh, and there's a crime committed, then, you know, the appropriate people should be punished. Certainly heads should roll. You know, you have 176 passengers and crew that are dead as a direct result of this so-called mistake. Um, you just can't tolerate that as a nation. And, and I think the demonstrations uh, today and over the weekend in Tehran and elsewhere in Iran demonstrate that you know, the Ayatollah is under a lot of heat and he's going to have to do something to appease that. There were images coming out of uh, Iran today uh, of Iranian students who refused to walk over the American and Israeli flags that uh, were painted on the sidewalks. Were you heartened by that? I was. Um, you know, I, I, the president in his speech last Wednesday, the very the first thing he said when he got up there is says Iran's never going to have a nuclear weapon while it's on on his watch. The last thing that he said is a message to the people of Iran. He says, I want you to have a great future. Uh, he wants I want you to embrace peace. Yeah, and so that was encouraging. And then, of course, earlier today, he sent out uh, a tweet to the Iranian people in Farsi saying, you know, I, I, I encourage you uh, to uh, you know, do the things that will bring you know, peace to your land. You know, I encourage you to work with your government uh, and you know, try to resolve uh, the differences because we as a people uh, can work together. Uh, so, you know, I know this must really befuddle uh, the Democrats who are great, you know, critics of Mr. Trump. But, you know, he's shown incredible restraint over the last week. And here we have, uh, as you indicate, Richard, you know, Iranians are refusing to stamp on our flag and the Israeli flag. And why? Because the enemy is within, not without. And they're beginning to see that. And I think to a certain degree, it's the because of the restraint that we've shown. Uh, Robert, we've got about 30 seconds here. Um, I just want to let people know about uh, Future War, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and Progressive Evil. Where can they get a hold of these uh, books? They're all on Amazon, and uh, I, I welcome them to, you know, read them and you know, send me their questions, or we can have a discussion on my Facebook page. It's under my name.
And we've linked up to your Facebook page uh, at strangeplanet.ca conspiracy show. Uh, Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. Open lines are next. And for the full hour right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to each and every one of you who's listening to this program on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, 740 on the amplitude modulation band and 96.7 on the frequency modulation band here in Toronto. Hiya to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca or on the Zoomer Radio app. How do, how do, to those of you streaming us on the uh, YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and those in the uh, the uh, YouTube chat, the live YouTube chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Open lines this hour. Open lines. If you want to talk about Iran, and let's face it, that's top of mind for many of us, uh, for most of us. Uh, particularly after the shooting down of the Ukrainian airliner as it departed Tehran's airport during the fog of war, if you will, killing all 176 uh, passengers uh, passengers and crew members aboard, including uh, 57 Canadian citizens, many of whom were students and faculty at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Uh, 416-360-0740. and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Again, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let me just take a moment. I want to thank everyone uh, for all of your wonderful birthday wishes, I, I spent the better part of the afternoon trying to respond uh, to as many as uh, I, I could uh, on Facebook and uh, email. And um, uh, it was very touching. I, I guess it'll probably, uh, by, the, by the time I get uh, finished responding, it'll be time to celebrate my next birthday. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. But um, if, if, if you uh, extended birthday greetings and I haven't gotten back to you, uh, I'm trying, and uh, I'm kind of digging out from under all of them, and uh, thank you, nonetheless. The uh, the mighty Aphrodite asked me, uh, how many candles should I put on the cake? And I said, oh, heck, just just turn the, you know, light the whole thing on fire. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and if you're, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but my old high school football jersey had Roman numerals on it. So, no, I'm not that old. Not that old. All right. Um, Oh, I wanted to also mention a little uh, programming note. Coming up next week, Andy Thomas. Uh, Andy Thomas is one of uh, Britain's uh, 
more celebrated authors when it comes to this arena of conspiracies uh, and so forth. Andy Thomas will be with us uh, for the first uh, hour, I believe. And uh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. He's going to be with us for the full two hours, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I'll have to check that out. Anyway, Andy Thomas will be with us and we will be uh, talking about his new book, Conspiracies, The Facts, The Evidence and The Theories, uh, or it's the other way around. The Facts, the, uh, the Theories and The Evidence. Andy Thomas. Looking forward to that. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we going here? Do we have a, a caller on the line? I thought I saw some, but I'm not seeing. Melanie is here from Toronto. Hello, Melanie. Oh, uh, a blessed new year, and uh, may the Lord be merciful to the souls of the departed and comfort the family. This is, as a Ukrainian person, this wasn't that much of a shock for me because in the Soviet era under Stalin and all his uh, henchmen, Beria, and all these other mass murderers, they would send out people to the West and all the expatriates from Ukraine, from Russia and Belarus who were working against the communist and Soviet regime, they were threatened here because they would implant their guys who were actually spies and they played as they were priests and they were, you know, part of the community and they weren't. But basically what they would do is target all the expatriates from the old Soviet Union here in Canada and also in Berlin and they, they assassinated a man. So that was part of the fear. So to me, uh, Iran purposely did this not to retaliate against America or Canada. It was directly to warn I Iranians who leave Iran and work, for example, do you notice that they were all university professors, uh, professional people, all the elite intelligentsia of, of the Iranian community outside of Iran? This is a warning to them that you see this is what's going to happen to you. And they might have suspected that there was a spy that gave the information as to where their general is, was going to be, and they just decided to blow up the whole plane because they probably thought that one of those guys was giving the information information and heading back to Canada after the general was assassinated. If we look into the list as to who was there, that's going to tell us. That's who they were targeting. This is who the threat is for. It's to threaten Iranians who are going to give information and what they would call traitors to the Iranian regime. It's worth considering, Melanie. I'll grant you that. But we'd have to find, we'd have to listen uh, for more evidence in that regard. And I just I don't I'm not sure if you heard my interview with Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Washing dishes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, he, I asked him that very question. Uh, you know whether it was possible, and and he just doesn't see the evidence for that. Uh, well, he could how, be also saying that. Well, to me, he might be saying that because he. They're allowing Iran to get away with this one mass murder that they've uh, created against the expatriates uh, because he they. He's, he's probably, he doesn't want America to be involved and blamed for anything, and they want to now go into peace and negotiations. So America and American uh, interests cannot say, listen, we know that you were targeting somebody on that plane that gave us the information, because that would give it away. That would give it away where they got all their information and their spy information as to where this general was going to be. Oh, I they, didn't, somebody, they didn't need that kind of spy information well, from, from, an, from an Iranian. Plane. I think somebody on well, the plane was It's informant. worth considering, Melanie. Yep, it's worth considering. Blessed, but I, blessed year. Same to you, Melanie. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to, you know, as strange as it may sound, I'm going to take the, the commander of the IRGC 
uh, at his word on this uh, until further evidence proves otherwise. And and I actually, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm being deceived, uh, but the IRGC commander, who ultimately, you know, the buck stops here, he's responsible. He said, I wish I could die. He felt, he feels so horrible about it. He says, I wish I could die. I don't know, there was a real, more than a glimmer of humanity there. Um, so I know, I know it's tempting uh, and, and, and there's a, maybe an urge to want to demonize and Lord knows there's enough there to demonize. But in this case, I think, uh, you know, the situation is, it's kind of on, it's on simmer now. Do we really want to bring it up to a boil and risk it boiling over again? Uh, so let's wait and see. It is a couple of things that are, are rather interesting. One, the Iraqi uh, president, um, maybe a week before the Iranian Iranian shot down the, uh, the the airliner, talked about the 1988 shooting down of the Iranian airliner by the U.S., which was an accident. Um, and let me say, for the record, that so far the Iraqi response, in particular the IRGC commander's response, I wish I could die, was much better than George Herbert Walker's response. I don't know if you recall his response after that horrible, horrible accident. He said, I will not apologize for America. Yikes. Holy smokes. Uh, so let's see. Uh, Earl is in Oakville this morning. Good morning, Earl. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Richard. After listening to you speak, I have to think about it. And I think you're right. Maybe it was an accident. Um, it's just that they shouldn't have been there in that airspace at the time, you know? The, 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 could have been, been an accident. Well, absolutely. I, you know, there's so many questions. If it yeah. was an accident, number one, why wasn't, as uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis just explained, why wasn't the IRGC, this is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, yeah. why weren't they in command, or why weren't they in constant contact? They're, they're so close to the airport. Yeah. Why weren't they in contact with the civil uh, air authorities saying, you know, who's taking off? Who's landing? Yeah, Are yeah. We, you know, which which speaks to incredible uh, ineptitude, obviously, with such tragic results. Yeah. Uh, and also, as he points out, it shows just how weak the um, the uh, air defense system is in Iran. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You take care, Richard. Earl, thank you. All the best. Happy New Year. Uh, let's say hello to John, who's checking in from Pittsburgh. John, good morning. Hi, Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, thanks. You? Terrific. I have to say, I, I'm very impressed with your city. If I could just take a moment, uh, well, I took the boys to Pittsburgh. I took the boys to Pittsburgh uh, this past spring as part of our little baseball tour. My first time there. What a what a job you people have done. Just a fabulous oh. city. The, well, thank you very much. I like it, too. And it's very livable, they say. So it's uh, announced. Um, what, years yeah. Hello? Yeah. What's on your mind, John? Yes. Uh, years ago, Richard, you had a uh, incident, a show on about a vampire that was running through England. Oh, yes. The, the Highgate Vampire. Yes. Okay. Uh, what was that about, please, again? Well, back in the late 60s, true story, 
1968, I believe, in Highgate Cemetery, which is in a, a district of London, uh, there was a series of incidents over a course of several nights. Uh, several animals inside the cemetery, and in the, and there were several houses that backed, or there's kind of a neighborhood that backs onto the cemetery. People were finding um, animals, foxes, and, and 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 dogs, and so forth, uh, completely drained of their blood. And uh, right. then there was a, um, uh, uh, someone, several witnesses who, when they passed by the gates of the cemetery, uh, they claimed to have seen some, uh, some strange uh, figure with, with pale skin and glowing eyes. And uh, people started to, you know, to, to, to panic a little bit. Then there was a woman whose house was adjacent to the Highgate Cemetery. She claimed that she'd been attacked by some figure in her bedroom. Uh, and so people started to put all this together. And all of a sudden, you had this hysteria, if I can use that term, taking over. And and like a, like a scene out of a Hammer film, uh, you know, Dracula with, with Christopher Lee, people started uh, marching on the cemetery with, torches and 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 so forth uh, wow. climbing the fence looking for for this whoever this was responsible and so it became known as the highgate vampire uh and then i went to england to investigate and i'm i i met a gentleman who's kind of at the center of this whole legend because at parts of it are there's some truth to it but there's also a lot of speculation and legend this was a gentleman uh archbishop uh, whose, whose name escapes me now. He uh, mm. claimed to be a descendant of Lord Byron. Anyway, he claimed to have slayed the vampire in Highgate Cemetery. And uh, so I went to his home and I interviewed him. And uh, it was a remarkable story. Um, and in any case, he claimed that he found the, um, he went down into the sort of the, I guess the, uh, the mausoleums or uh, underground and, and found the, uh, the coffin containing the, um, the vampire and um, and killed the vampire. Wow. Um, yeah, if, if you're interested in if you if you go yeah. on to uh, YouTube, most of the m most of those episodes for my TV show, the conspiracy show, are up there on uh, on on YouTube. So I would just do a search, uh, the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett TV, and uh, or you might look at Richard Serrett investigates. Uh, and there's a whole, all the episodes there pretty well, I think, except for maybe season four, all there on YouTube. And um, uh, you can, you can find the, uh, the episode or you could go to the conspiracy show dot uh, CA. And uh, that's the website for the TV show. You, you should be able to find the episode there okay. and click on the link, click on the link for the vampire episode and it'll take you right there. Okay. Uh, conspiracyshow.ca. Yeah, let me just while I've got you live on the line here, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna type it up right here. The conspiracy show, just to make sure I'm not giving a putting you on the wrong track. This is not okay. to be confused with my radio show. Um, hmm. Let's see, try dot com. Uh, .ca. What's happening here? The conspiracy show. Oh, isn't that funny? Anyway, I'm not seeing it, but uh, just go search it on YouTube. 
Okay, excellent. All right. Well, happy Thanks birthday, for checking Richard. In. Great show. Listen to you when I can and get 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 you uh, in the area here. Oh, it's terrific. Are you listening on seven forty? Oh yes, every night between uh, listening to Ziggy and uh, Frank Proctor and yes. Well, that's the power of what we call a clear channel license. The seven forty AM seven forty, the largest Love broadcast it. footprint. In North America. Love it. All right, my friend. Thanks for checking in Thanks, from Pittsburgh. Richard. All the best. Uh-huh. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Use the toll-free number just like John from Pittsburgh. And you can call in and uh, you won't pay a dime. 1-866-740-4740. 740. I thought we would go to the uh, the YouTube uh, live stream chat and uh, take a couple of questions. And uh, you betcha, who joins us every week uh, without fail, you betcha says, happy birthday, Richard. You don't look a day older than 30. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You betcha. The check is in the mail. Duchess 80. Oh, Duchess 80. Is she new? Are you new, Duchess 80? I don't remember seeing you in the chat before. She says, ask him. Richard, if he thinks the general was the mastermind of the Benghazi riot and subsequent murder of Ambassador Stevens. Great question. Great question. Um, I wish I'd known that earlier and I would have uh, I would have asked Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis that question. To what extent was Suleiman involved in uh, Benghazi and the death of uh, the murder of Ambassador Stevens? All right. Uh, and then you betcha. Oh, back. You betcha's back again. Uh, what's your take on this Amber Alert given this false alarm this morning? Wow. Uh, for those of you who are outside the uh, the greater Toronto area, um, many of us on our smartphones received this uh, Amber Alert. Luckily, I had my phone muted. Uh, but those who didn't got a startling wake, uh, early morning wake up. Um, and this was from the Darlington nuclear plant. And it turned out to be a false alarm. And uh, we actually know someone who works at Darlington um, or Pickering. Anyway, um, it was clearly it was, um, you know, it was a mistake. It was an accident. And but now I'm hearing, you know, uh, the rumor mail again. There's no evidence for this. I'm just saying what's out there in the the social media world and and so forth uh, that somehow the Iranians hacked into it. Uh, again, uh, I, I've, I've not seen any evidence of that. However, we'll wait and see. Um, but no, there's nothing, uh, nothing happening at Darlington. Nuclear power remains uh, safe. And, um, uh, you know, just a, a quick aside on nuclear power. I know, you know, I've talked in the past about Fukushima and Chernobyl and so forth. But by and large, no question, nuclear power has proven to be the safest form of energy ever in history. Uh, and um, I don't know why the climate alarmists on the one hand are saying, don't, you know, you have to stop using fossil fuel. Uh, and then we say, okay, fine. How about nuclear? That's been proven to be successful. No, you can't do that either. Oh, so we're to rely then on, on wind and solar. We're going to, we're going to freeze. Do you know how many millions of people would perish every year without fossil fuels? 
which leads me to the conclusion that that uh, climate change is not the existential threat. It's climate alarmists. Uh, let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga. Mike, good morning. Hi there, Richard. How are you? I'm well. Yourself? Not bad, thank you. Great show as always. Great, great topics and great work on uh, filling in coast to coast. Really great. Um, I'll keep this uh, quite short. Um, I was listening a little bit off and on on the Roy Green show today on 640 uh, AM, and uh, same topic. And uh, he, had a, he had a gentleman on, an official, who mentioned that on this particular flight that the Ukrainian plane took, there was exactly several flights, exact same pattern and flight that they all know their protocol and were taken prior to the Ukrainian flight. And um, something called, I think, the FDM or whatnot. It's a flight path that it, that the pilots take and all the rest of it. So my when I thought when I heard that, I thought to myself, those first seven flights that got through before the Ukrainian flight, was there at least one American on board? Because Trump said one American casualty, one structure, we're going to come come very hard down on the the Iran nation. So I was just wondering if they, once they comb and peel back the onions and they find out from those first seven flights, if there was at least one American on that flight, and then they found out that on the eighth flight, there were no Americans, that might have been the target. That's what I thought about. Ah, like, that's, that's interesting. The well, then that, that demands, you know, more investigation, uh, uh, Mike, so thank you for the bringing that to our attention, which would, you know, suggests the possibility that it might have been deliberate. Got to go to a break, Mike, but thank you for thank that you update. Much, all right, all the best. Back you too. with uh, more open lines here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, welcome back. Open lines. She's, you know, another year older, and I'm starting to lose it already. Uh, final glad, glide pot pattern. <laughs> uh, a couple of corrections. First of all, I, I gave you a programming note, and I gave you the wrong programming that's coming up next week. It's uh, it's not Andy Thomas on conspiracies. That will be Sunday, January 26th. That's in two weeks, uh, and that'll be for the full two hours. He's the author of, uh, well, he's a British author. Uh, very well known in this arena over there, uh, conspiracies, the facts, the theories, the evidence. That's in two weeks. Next week, it'll be author Dylan Howard, uh, and he's written a, a book on Jeffrey Epstein called Dead Men Don't Lie. That's the first hour. Dylan Howard next week on Jeffrey Epstein, Dead Men Don't Lie. Uh, that's item number one on the programming side. The other one is... Uh, John from Pittsburgh called in earlier, and I was trying to direct him to where he could find an old TV episode I did on the Highgate Vampire. And um, the website for the TV show is still up and available. This is for the conspiracy show, the TV show, not to be confused with this radio program. And it's theconspiracyshow.com, theconspiracyshow.com. And if you go there uh, and just click on episodes, and you'll see the vampire episode is season one, episode 12. And underneath it says view. Just click on it. and You can watch it right there on YouTube. It'll take you right there. Okay, John in Pittsburgh. Hope that helps. And for all of you uh, fans of the uh, my old TV show, seasons one, two, and three, all available. Oh, and season four. 
I oh no, just seasons one, two, and three so far. Those are all available uh, to view. And uh, again, you just go to theconspiracyshow.com and uh, click on episodes, find the one you want to watch and click on it. There you go. All right. Uh, let's see. Who is up next? Tim is in Newmarket. Tim, good morning. Yeah. Welcome good to morning. The Conspiracy Show. I'm a first-time caller. Hey, welcome aboard. Thank you. Okay. I would like to talk about the passing of one of the greatest Canadians of all time, and that is Neil Peart of Rush. He was yes. my idol. Um, I've seen him 13 times and I've been in the music business for over 40 years and, um, my heart is very heavy as, as, as is all the Rush fans. And of course the Lee family, the Lifeson family, the Peart family, the yes. Underlinger family, which is the lighting director for Rush. And, um, this guy was just synonymous with excellence in everything he did. I watched him with binoculars. I've seen this guy drum, and I've seen some of the best drummers in the world in my 60 years of living. And I can't tell you how sad I am and the people of Newmarket and Canada and all around the world that had the pleasure of being exposed to the band Rush and the awesome, awesome drumming and lyricist abilities of Mr. Neil Peart. Yes. Uh, admittedly, I was not a huge Rush fan. Um, when I was in, in um, high school, I had yes. a couple of friends that were huge Rush fans like yourself. One in particular, Paul, if you're listening in Brantford, Paul Bund. Um, has a shrine in his house and he would travel around like the deadheads used to following of the course. grateful dead. He would follow a rush around and see them wherever and whenever he could. And, um, and when I would go to a house party and if he was in charge of the turntable, we, you know, we, he'd have two hemispheres on there playing and, and, right. and, uh, moving pictures and, and all of their albums. Of um, but e even though I was not a huge fan, I could certainly, uh, appreciate and admire and respect the the technical acumen of this this gentleman. And my understanding is exactly. that Neil Peart. I mean, just the drum kit was immense. Uh, the physicality yeah. involved uh, in 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 playing that huge drum kit. The the yes. the amount of energy imagine. and strength that would re would be required. Right. He must have been absolutely exhausted and drained and in pain after every show. Well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to even come close and say that I'm even near the level of Neil Peart, but um, examining his uh, body of work, which I have, um, if you are a musician, maybe you will understand more. If you Do you play an instrument? Uh, no, no. My children okay, are so both that's, that's uh, play why, piano. But the connection always was with the musicians first and other fans that didn't play instruments like Dave Grohl, for example, from the Foo Fighters and drummers like this. Um, he was at a level of precision and speed and, uh, like you said, acumen and timing. And like he used to throw the drumsticks uh, 15, 20 feet in the air from a sitting position 
you know, and catch it. And I used to watch it with binoculars, and there was no, like, a laughing face or, or you know, this guy was deadly serious. And I know that people all over Canada and are, at this point, very heartbroken. And we really lost um, a true superstar as a person and as a Canadian. And I, 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 I agree. Eternal be his memory. And oh, it, it will never die as long as I'm alive. And uh, as long as there's people that want to do the air drumming, like people would air drum at the concerts. So I'll bet. Yeah, he was a drummer's drummer. Some guitarists are, you know, they're considered a guitarist guitarist, as you say, of because there's, they're, they're appreciated by fellow musicians. Uh, one right. of the things I, I also learned about... Uh, about um, Neil Peart, not surprisingly, was, you know, he was influenced by the jazz drummers like Gene Krupa oh, and course, Buddy right. Rich. And you could tell because he, he, he brought that to the fore with, even though, you know, he's playing in this amazing prog rock uh, band, exactly. he, he infused, you know, Krupa and, 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 and all of these was, yeah. jazz drummers from the past. Now, Buddy Rich, he, this is the type of guy Buddy Rich was. He had open heart surgery and was told never to drum again. And he played Ontario Place <laughs> six months after open heart surgery. And I watched the show, and he had a big, thick sweater on. Now, could you imagine the heat from the lights and the? I couldn't imagine. You know, yeah, I do so, remember. I, I remember as a young boy watching Buddy Rich on the Tonight Show. Right, and he was a funny guy too. He'd come, he'd sit down, he would joke, he, he would tell stories, karate. and then. He'd walk over to the drum kit on the uh, band, and uh, I was just mesmerized by uh, his oh, ability. Yeah. And yet, you're right, the sweat pouring down. And he was in his late 70s at that time. Yeah. Just the, the again, yeah. the conditioning it's, it's quite of the an drummer. Instrument to play. And in Canada, for some reason, we have the best musicians, and they're treated not very well by the government or not very well by the people, really, until they're gone or. They have to work so hard to get somewhere, and I would like to see that hopefully change uh, for the younger musicians coming up the pipe because it's very hard, and it's a very uh, hard, you know, like ACDC says, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, and I've been trying well for said. a long, long time. But I like basically, this guy, I appreciate you listening to me and Long live Neil Peart and long live Getty and Alex and all the fans. Um, God bless Neil. Tim, thank you so much. Thanks. You've brought Neil Peart closer to the heart. All thank right. Uh, do we have time for one more? Owen back in studio before we break? I got one time. Well, Owen says yes, so let's go for it. Tony's in Toronto. Good morning, Tony. Uh, good morning. I want to just talk about Iran and... Uh, I hope that the recent events and the tragedy won't lead uh, to reestablishment of diplomatic uh, relationship between Canada and Iran again. There are people, I understand, that are actually drooling to see that happen. I hope that that will never happen. That's all I want. You mean? To say. You mean? Uh, you mean? Uh, you're hoping that this? This uh, airliner being shot down doesn't lead to 
Canada severing severing diplomatic ties. If I'm hearing you correctly. And the the now that the Canadian counselors are are uh, trying to get to Iran, and the, it won't uh, lead uh, to reopening of the Iranian embassy in Canada, and and uh, vice versa. Uh, reopening. I I did no. I, I, we still don't we have diplomatic relations with Iran. No, we don't. We don't. No, no. Right. no. Yeah, Harper so rightfully cut it off, and uh, right. uh, I'm sure that liberals are, are some of them actually, at least, are drooling for that moment uh, to undo what Harper did, uh, and uh, that's a disservice to the Iranian people and Canadian interest. That's all I want to uh, say. Tony, may I ask, are you from Iran? Yes. You are. When did you leave? Uh, when? When did you come to Canada? Yes, when When did you come to Canada? Uh, around 86. So seven years after the revolution? Yes. How did you get out? Oh, well, it's a long story, and I'm a last caller. It's, uh, I, I, I had to... I had to uh, get uh, to the border and then just, uh, I actually flee, fled. That's all. Tony, can I get you to hold on? Because I'd like to talk to you for some, um, would you hold on during the break? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Uh, Tony, ex-Pat from Iran who escaped in 1986. And uh, we'll, we'll chat some more on the other side. The Conspiracy Show, open lines, get on board. 416-360-0740, toll free from out of town, one 866 740-4740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Tony is uh, with us. He held uh, on during the break. Tony escaped Iran in 1986, seven years after the Islamic Revolution, found his way to Canada. And uh, as Tony correctly pointed out, um, something I wasn't aware of, and that is that we have not had formal diplomatic relations with Iran since 2012. Um, For some reason, I was under the mistaken impression that after... uh, the uh, the Iran nuclear agreement in uh, the summer of 2015 that we reinstated diplomatic relations, but that's not true. What we did do was we lifted uh, most of the economic sanctions against Iran. Uh, Tony is back with us. Tony, you you somehow you made it to the border and um, were able to make it to Canada. Yes. Are you still with us? Right. Yes. And. Uh, what else can you tell us about uh, your, your struggle to get here? Oh, well, back then, uh, there was a, uh, under Maroney, uh, there was a, a, a program called Iranian Special Program, uh, which was uh, designed to attract those who have some some qualification. It's not that I'm saying that I was qualified enough or I was better than the rest. No, no, no. There was some criteria set up, and the the, the Canadian embassy in, in neighboring countries 
such as uh, in my case, Turkey uh, would uh, accept applications for uh, Iranians uh, to come to Canada. And uh, right. from that route, I, I that was the path that I took. And do you, do you still have family in Iran? Uh, well, uh, uh, my family are diminishing uh, as to the age. Uh, my, my parents have died, and, and uh, the distant families I have. Uh, not uh, very daily, the, the close families, no. No, but I mean, do you have do you have contact with anyone in Iran? Oh yes, of course, yes. yes. And, and what do they tell you, for example, right now on the ground with the the student protesting and and the fifteen hundred protesters that have been killed? Uh, what is your sense of the situation, the the domestic political scene in Iran? Is there any chance that there will be a a, a huge uprising and that the the mullahs will be uh, forced to flee the country? Oh yes. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, the, the 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 whole thing is very ready for 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 a a, a final uprising. Uh, the, 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 it all depends on on a, on, a, on a foreign understanding, not necessarily foreign aid or intervention. Intervention is is is, is the very last thing that that. Iranian people will. Uh, the, uh, during Obama's administration, there was a, a green movement, if you remember. Yes. And, and Obama uh, didn't move, didn't, uh, didn't uh, do anything uh, for, for, for those who participated in that uprising. Uh, that opportunity was lost during Obama time. And we hope... What, what could President Trump do if the, the, the people of Iran decide once again to take to the streets en masse? Mm -hmm. uh, what could the Trump administration do to assist them short of, you know, military aid? Oh, well, this, this is the thing. The... the, the, the Sanctions have to be meaningful, and it's number one. Number two is he has to make sure that he put ultimate pressure on Iranian agents who are who have been deployed outside in North America. In, 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 in huge numbers. The name of your show is Conspiracy Thing. And if I say that there are sleeper cells in Canada, you say, oh, this guy is talking. Oh, no, I have no doubt, Tony. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that there are sleeper cells here. So the first sign he has to show is to kick out those people who are sent by the government and presently they live and work in the United States. 
they they hold high high positions, academics and 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 businessmen, and they are fully connected to the uh, government of Iran. That's that's the first thing that he has to do. He has to. Okay. Tony, I have about a minute here, so I, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. One, okay. how did you feel when you saw here in Toronto um, ir- ir- Iranians protesting, or Iranian Canadians, and not only just Iranian Canadians, other Canadians protesting at the U.S. Embassy uh, for the uh, um, the targeting of Soleimani? I'm telling you, I don't know about the other nationals, but the ones Iran, the, the Iranians, those Iranians who who go and and oppose these things, these are the the ones that I'm talking about. Those are the ones that they they have received the order from 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 Tehran to show up. Those are the ones, and this is my thing. Liberals are don't have the guts to do anything about those people. There are liberals who are drooling. To go soft on Iran and Iran. Tony, yeah. Tony, I thank you for calling in. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. You, you, take, you took me. Bye bye. All right. Great call. Uh, we'll take one final time out, come back, and uh, I'll continue to take your calls until we uh, decide to dim the lights here and say good night for another week. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Uh, Let's go to Richmond, Virginia and say hi to Gabriel. Gabriel, welcome aboard. Hello, Richard. Can you hear me clearly? I can. How are you picking us up tonight? Uh, I just like to uh, check out the AM radio stations to see what's going on, but I was very curious to know what uh, which show was about when I heard about conspiracy theories. Oh, so you're listening to us on AM 740? Yes, I am. Way down in Virginia. There you go. Earlier we heard from Pittsburgh. It's always nice to hear you know, how far the signal is extending and, and how are we coming in down there? Okay, I decided I'd uh, go onto the website as well so I could stream it. There you go. All right, Gabriel, what's on your mind tonight? Well, I'm just curious to know. Maybe I could ask you a couple questions about it, maybe get your opinion. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to the subject of climate change, if that was all right. Sure. Yeah, so I'm just curious to know if uh, it seems that we're getting, you know, in, in all these different forms of media, uh, you know, super big example, you know, being TED Talks. I've seen it dominating that YouTube channel, all these TED Talks about climate change, um, as well as, the, you know, I don't know if you've looked into the uh, IPCC report, which was released yes. by the United Nations, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, I'm right. just wondering if of all of these, uh, and I understand that you were saying that the real problem is the climate alarmist as opposed to the, you know, issue of climate change itself. Um, I'm just wondering what your opinion would be. I mean, all these sources of authority seem to be telling us that there is a very significant issue um, that's happening. And, it, it, you know, to me, you know, from what I've seen and just what I've, I've observed, it seems to be that the real conspiracy is uh, that we've had this information for such a long time and have failed to act on it. And, you know, it seems like big corporations are, you know, paying a small group of people 
to spread misinformation or cause, um, you know, cause confusion or, you know, doubt that climate change is, uh, you know, happening at the rate that it's happening. Well, show me where is the evidence that climate change is happening uh, at this, you know, aside from, you know, anecdotal evidence about extreme weather, which is a constant, uh, you know, where is the evidence? Where is the data? If you mentioned the IPCC report, if you go to, I believe it's chapter nine, it says right there, their models, their computer models have been, have demonstrated that they can't project outwards in terms of predict, uh, predicting uh, uh, climate. It's right there well, in the IPCC I, report. Well, and I think that the reason for that, and I think that the IPCC report is actually a very conservative report in regards to climate change because most of the most of the things that you're trying to measure when you're talking about a global scale of events, it's I mean you're not able to quantify it with absolute certainty. We're not going to be able to say with a you know less than a one percent you know uh, range of certainty what's going to happen because it's such a big problem. But there are well known uh, well known effects that are being caused by climate change uh, that I feel like are worth you know looking into. I mean I, I encourage all of your listeners to. To look into these effects and see, you know, for themselves, uh, the the studies that have been do- done on them. Uh, you know, for one example, what I've looked into is like the albedo effect, uh, which is the idea that when the sun is, you know, is it, it's it's our sun's rays are reflected from the ice and the polar ice caps, so the energy is shot back into the sky because of the white ice, you know, reflecting it back into the atmosphere. Um, but while the ice is being melted. We have darker water as our surface area, which instead is increasing the temperature even more. Um, that's just uh, just one of the effects that I, I find uh, a little alarming. Um, another well, one. Well, that's being- the effect of climate. Yes, the climate changes. Uh, the, the the question at hand is, is is it anthropogenic uh, climate change? Are are we contributing to it? Perhaps. Uh, right. But let me let me. That's you mentioned ice. Okay, so I, let, let me just mention this: the Arctic ice. Uh, 6,000 years ago, the Arctic was ice-free. Ice-free. Carbon dioxide levels less than 300 parts per million. How do we explain that? Right, 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 right. And I, and I understand. Um, but you said if, if the problem is anthropogenic. And, and we actually live in a geological name, uh, age known as the Anthropocene, which I'm, I'm looking it up right now in the dictionary, just making sure I say it right. In Anthropocene, uh, the definition is relating or denoting the current geological age viewed as the period during which human activity has become the dominant influence on climate and the environment. So this is actually the geological age that we live in, known as well, the Anthropocene. Okay, no, that's interesting, but that's 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 called arguing from authority. That's I mean, that doesn't – if I say, well, so-and-so said this, that doesn't mean, you know, that's the case. Um you know, the other thing that we hear constantly is about the, the, the rising ocean levels. Uh, and uh, I, I walked into a high school open house. I'm shopping around for a high school for my boys. I walked into the geography department, and they had all these posters on the wall, uh, you know, about all of these islands are going to disappear. Uh, and, you know, rising ocean levels, and we've been hearing about this for forever. Uh, the ocean levels have been rising at about two and three quarter millimeter per year since Abraham Lincoln was president. It's been constant, it's been predictable, it's been slow and steady. Uh, there's no evidence, you know, that the ocean levels are rising at an alarming rate. 
None, none whatsoever. And, there, and I have yet to see any evidence that carbon dioxide is driving temperature. None. I mean, if anything, it, it seems to be, if you look at the geological record, it seems to be a lagging indicator. We see periods when the temperature goes up, then carbon dioxide levels rise, rather than the other way around. So we haven't even figured that out, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can tell, looking at the, looking at the data. I've yet to see any evidence that proves Carbon dioxide drives temperature, and that's the key. Until they can show that, I don't think it's worth spending trillions of dollars uh, shutting down entire industries, putting millions of people's lives at risk. The, 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 what's killing you know, millions of people? We have Greta Thunberg saying, oh, you know, millions of people are dying because of climate change. No, millions of people are dying every year around the world because of energy poverty, because they can't heat their homes with affordable uh, and safe, um, you know, oil furnaces and natural gas. Uh, what are they using? They're burning dung and wood inside their houses and they're dying from, uh, you know, from respiratory ailments. Four million people a year die from energy poverty. That is the problem. Africa, look what's happening in it. We could lift Africa or Africans could lift themselves out of out of poverty if they had the, the advantages uh, of, of an industrial revolution, if they had access to cheap, affordable energy. That's what's putting lives at, in, at risk, not climate change. It's denying well, technology curious. to people that need it. I'm curious to know, uh, I mean, would you, I mean, I'm, I'll ask you, would you happen to know, I mean, how much oil is there left to use? Is it even a viable source of energy that we would be able to cultivate for, for uh, you know, a sustainable amount of time. Well, I don't know, but you know, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, we're going to be on oil for the rest of our lives. We, we certainly, yes, I'm all for I'm all for looking for other sources of energy. Uh, you know, nuclear. Uh, we're shutting down nuclear plants at our peril. We shut them down in this province at our peril. Um, you know, why aren't we looking at nuclear energy? Why Why are the 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 uh, the environmentalists uh, so dead set against nuclear, and yet we and we can't have fossil fuels. Imagine, you know, what would happen in a, in a climate like North America without access to to fossil fuels, and they, and they want to they want to they want to shut all of that down by what twenty thirty? It's it's a it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And I completely, I mean, I completely agree with you. That's why I'm trying to get to the bottom of this and really understand the the situation at hand because I feel you know either way. Whichever way you look at it, I mean, I don't think that uh, it, it would not be an easy change. I'm, I'm 100% agreement with you. I mean, we're talking about a complete, uh, a complete change in the lives of, I'm sure, you know, the entire com uh, Canadian population as well as the American population if we were to, you know, change our reliance uh, from fossil fuels to another form of energy. I'm in complete agreement with that. It would be cataclysmic. It would be cataclysmic. And the, the key to the, all this, it's a, because it's not about the climate, it's not about the environment, it's about control. Their solution is give us the authority and we'll solve the problem. <laughs> when has government ever solved the problem? Uh, in, Canada, in Canada, they sell marijuana and, they, and they're losing money. Only a government could sell drugs and lose money. Are we really going to trust them to solve our, uh, our, our energy problems? Uh, um, Gabriel, apologies. I got to run. We're out of time. Great hearing from you. I hope you'll call again and we can continue this conversation. 
Thank you, Richard. You have a good night. All the best. All right. My thanks to uh, Owen and Ryan and to all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. We'll talk uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, with an author who's written a book called Dead Men Don't Lie. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.